1: You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast.
0: Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of our Southern Outdoorsman listener success stories. Uh, again, Jacob Myers here. I've got Andrew Maxwell, old Mister A Town here in the new house, the new studio right now. A little bit of echo noise yeah, in the background, little, little bit. but we're gonna we're gonna fix that in hopefully uh, next couple of weeks uh, with some new maybe some new pelts on the wall and everything yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on this week's episode, guys, we have uh, Jake Reese on uh, from Georgia, uh, who's been a listener. And uh, had success uh, chasing down a, uh, a buck that he's actually been kind of following since summertime, which is really interesting. So we're excited to hear the story and kind of see, uh, you know, kind of what played as a factor for this. But, Jake, uh, how are you doing this evening, man?
2: Oh, doing good, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on here. Well,
0: we're excited to have you on. And, Jake, I've got to start this out and ask you, uh, first off, how long have you been a listener of the show?
2: Uh, At least a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, I just happened to find y'all just looking for podcasts. Uh, uh, With my work, a lot of times I have to drive uh, a little bit. and So I found y'all and started listening and uh, was learning a lot. So I just kept following along and really enjoyed the content.
0: Very cool. Well, awesome. That's what I was going to ask is, you know, kind of what caused you to start listening to the podcast and have you always been like a podcast listener? Because I know I've heard some people, the reason why I say that, I've heard some people that's listened to the show like, man, i never listened to a podcast until a buddy told me about y'alls. Yeah. And then I know <laughs> other guys that are podcast junkies like myself that, I mean, I listen to probably like 15 mm-hmm. different shows. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I was probably just getting into podcasts. I mean, maybe two, three years total. I think I started out listening to, Meat Eater and Joe Rogan and stuff like that. A buddy got me on them and uh, just happened to find y'all. And uh, I think the one that I really remember that caught my attention was uh, one of your first episodes with Donald Driver, I believe. Uh, Josh um, Driver. Oh, yeah. Episode Josh Driver. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Josh Driver. Um, but, yeah, just the way he figures out terrain and just looking at these little features and stuff really... Really intrigued me, and uh, that's one of the things that stuck out to me
0: well let's I want to jump into that, so Josh driver, we had him on uh starting uh i guess uh midway through the season last year episode one forty one was the first episode we had him on, and the whole topic mm-hmm. was trying to find locate, and hunt a buck's core area and a mature buck on public land and, and we've mm-hmm. had a ton of listener success stories come in over the last year and a half more than any other, yeah, f- I would say from his episode yeah, uh, and kind of what he had <clears throat> talked about, which is you know interesting because. Uh, when you kind of look at all the episodes that we've done and that being uh, one that's really hit home for a lot of guys, it, it's fascinating. And I always tell somebody, if you're a new listener to the show, that's the fir- one of the first episodes I've listened to along with Glenn Solomon, episode 116. Um, mm-hmm. But Jake, you said you listened to that episode. It really kind of hit home for you. Let me ask, what about that episode really was something that, you know, you kind of took into consideration, maybe kind of made you think outside the box of what you had thought previously?
2: Uh, a lot with... Uh I think he talked about thermals some and just how they work in the terrain as far as how a buck moves through those areas and just kind of helped me focus on like little features to look for, like an example, like a where to like to spot within a spot, like on a bench, like the the very narrow point, pinpoint little areas that will most likely put you in front of that deer. And it just kind of, that's that's what was catching my attention where was the small details that he that he was so focused on and that's partly or a good bit of what helped me uh get this deer
1: well let's so let's dig into this deer a little bit um i mean mm-hmm. what's the story on this thing i know that you uh, i think you messaged us in the summertime uh saying that you had located this thing um and we posted it as kind of like a listener success story like finding the deer you found him in the summer so uh how did you go about finding this buck i mean what was that like for you
2: without even knowing it was probably the deer, I think it probably started right before turkey season, actually. Um, I was actually scouting for turkeys in this area. Came across a real, like a, a huge scrape line and had some rubs and stuff that were working up along it, too. So, I knew, and, and they were fairly fresh, too. So, I knew the deer at least made it through the deer season. I mean, they weren't super fresh, but you could tell they were within the past month or so. And And so I just kind of marked that area on the map and uh, came back there. I want to say it was late July and uh, scouted it out a little more. And I actually jumped the deer and I I didn't know what he was, but I could just hear his antlers hitting branches and stuff. He was kind of uh, at the end of a a small finger and I jumped him up off the end of it. He was in a thicket. I couldn't even see him. But uh, so I moved maybe 75 yards down and to the left and put in a mock scrape and hung my camera up maybe seven foot or so and angle it back down. And I mean, literally the next afternoon at one or two o'clock, I believe I got pictures of him on it, checking it out. So I take it. That was probably him that I jumped up. So I, I knew that that was his, probably his little area to kind of focus on. And, and from there, I just kind of, look for some areas that were close to thickets kind of around there and maybe some uh you know just trails and and stuff coming out of those thickets to try to set up on and didn't really have uh any luck with him during bow season it was a uh, it was a, a a rough bow season i wasn't seeing much maybe a doe here and there but just no sight of him at all he was basically a ghost i never saw him during uh during bow season and really i didn't even didn't even know he was in the area that i killed him in until he literally popped out he was just a, a ghost between the time i got pictures of him and and from uh, the time i got him
1: well um, so before we go any further i gotta ask uh what can you describe the woods that you, that you're hunting in a little bit like our cutovers pretty common uh are you are you hunting like a big closed canopy hardwood forests? i mean what's the setting here
2: so where I originally found him was probably more of a closed canopy. It was planted pines, but there was uh, they were planted probably you know fifty acre tracks or so. So you had some different age classes of pines and and basically hardwood fingers and and draws and creek bottoms and stuff around there. But the uh, the pines for the most part they were probably twenty years. Plus, I know, big enough to get a get a tr- get a a climber in or something. And so, it, it was pretty mature forest. And where I ended up getting him was fairly close to the same kind of habitat. It was close canopy hardwoods and uh, previous, li- probably thin pines that were, it'd probably been five or six years since they'd been thin. So, it was pretty thick where he came out of. A lot of sweet gums and blackberries and Smilax and stuff like that, just nasty stuff was uh with when you initially
1: I'll, I'll, I'll phrase the question this way where you initially found him and where you ended up killing him like the cover in, in the like the the forest cover in those spots mm-hmm. were they like an anomaly for the area or or were they like like if if you have a a thousand acre yeah. tract and there's a bunch of cutovers all over it and you killed them in a cutover like cutovers pretty mm-hmm. common but it was it like something out of the ordinary or was it kind of you know, something that was pretty common throughout the area.
2: Um, it was it was pretty common throughout the area. Um, I would say probably where I got him, it was just it was a pain in the butt to get to. Not particularly far off the road, but you had to walk a long ways to get around these thickets to get in there. Is pr- probably why the area was a little better than than the rest. But you know, it, it still looked consistent, comparable to. To the habitat around me it's just uh, the way it laid out it was kind of hard to get to so he was
1: more of it was more of like a barrier between uh like the access and the deer than it was distance it was more like yes. difficult to get to because of the thickets there
2: yes exactly um where he was originally at though it, it wasn't too bad there was more there was more pockets of thickets kind of what led me to go to this other area was uh, the actually the hunting pressure and how easy it was to get back there where he originally was. So I, I knew a lot of people hunted that area and especially when rifle season opens, it's like opening the floodgates over there. And <laughs> I knew he probably wouldn't hang around there too long. I, I knew it was just a matter of time before he got pushed out. Um, and I just happened to guess the right direction he went. So, <laughs> but before that, I mean, or at least leading up to him being over there, I did scout out that area ahead of time and and found good signs from other deer and saw other smaller bucks and a lot of does. So I just knew with it being the rut and stuff that when I got him, um, eventually a, a good buck would probably show up to to kind of tend and check all those does in the area.
1: How far did he relocate uh, from summer to fall? Um,
2: he was it was over a mile. Um, it's from the spot or the pin where i got him on camera to where i shot him was well over a mile wow really yeah no, yeah
1: was it like a like a different uh did he relocate to a totally different kind of cover or was he just avoiding like like did he switch from like uh like hardwoods to like thicker pines or or like more uh like brambles to grasses or stuff like that like did he switch cover types or was it the same kind of stuff but just more difficult to access
2: uh, both he uh the the cover he was in um in the summertime was probably more more like just sweet gums with with fewer brambles and and blackberries and stuff in it the stuff he was in when i shot him was more more viney and and uh, harder to, to walk through. It was basically you just about couldn't walk through it unless you found a trail to go down. And the topography was a lot rougher, too. So I imagine it was it was probably a combo of, of, of both pressure lacking in that area and uh, just harder access. Hey, Jake, you you were talking about how episode
0: 141 with Josh Driver uh, was something that, you know, really impacted you. And you were Mm -hmm. talking about how he kind of focuses on, you know, uh, topography to try to find, like, these kind of hubs that these deer are staying in. Mm -hmm. How how did that kind of relay to, like, the area and the habitat that you're hunting in and the terrain? I mean, was that something that was like you could, once you kind of listened to him, Is that something that when you start looking at the map, you're like, okay, this looks like a spot that is probably close to what he's talking about that kind of has the diversity along with the habitat and the terrain type that maybe there is that mature buck there? I mean, is that something that kind of hit home for you or was it something separate?
2: yeah it did so uh, it was actually probably a prototypical hub that you that you hear everyone talk about or wagon wheel it was a little creek drainage that that kind of it got pretty wide in a spot and, and had a lot of white oaks and red oaks and stuff in it and it had all these uh little draws and fingers kind of dropping down into it and up on top of these ridges um was just a lot of thick cover I mean just super thick you just about can't even walk through you just about had to crawl through it and so I guess it was is just compounding features just a lot of stuff was going on for this area that really stuck out to me um across from it was was pretty steep um there's some areas on that ridge where <laughs> sitting in my stand across from it I was looking up at deer so it was It was a little more unusual for the area overall as far as uh, topography. It was a little more extreme, I guess, compared to the other stuff around. And it just seemed like the deer were just holding up in there. There wasn't really a lot of people messing with them. But yeah, it was just uh, kind of the wagon wheel effect. There was all these uh, different draws and, and fingers that were running down into this area. And just found the fresh sign where they were crossing this creek going back and forth between uh, thickets and uh, a lot of food in between the two thickets, too. So so they didn't have to go far for food.
0: Yeah, so it definitely does sound like a really good, like, compounding feature. And I think Josh talks about, you know, these areas, kind of like what you're talking about, it's like a big social hub uh, where you have, you know, multiple different ridge points kind of dropping down to the central point that – you know, there might be different doe family groups throughout the different ridges, and that's one place that a buck can cruise and kind of check them all out at one time. Um, and then you're talking about having the thick, the thick, uh, you know, terrain or uh, topography on, you know, one side along with the mm-hmm. diversity of food and thick cover. I mean, it sounds like a money spot, uh, and it's probably a spot that you can go to year after year and, and probably keep, kill mature bucks there every year, um, which is exciting. So that, that's something that's really kind of mm-hmm. cool. Now, let, let me ask, did um, – just from his episode, uh, this, I'm very interested when I hear guys that talk about like his episode, it, it always fascinates me, uh, because his episode had probably some of the fastest success stories I've ever seen, Where we had two listeners kill two huge bucks. Uh, <laughs> that, so that episode came out on a Monday, that Saturday, <laughs> two listeners listened to the episode and applied his tactics and both killed giant deer, uh, <laughs> using his tactics. So that's why I'm very interested to in everybody we talked to mm-hmm. about this episode. Um, when him kind of talking about the diversity the habitat terrain type and and kind of like these social hubs uh, for like rut hunting was that something that previously kind of with your background and everything is that something that you previously you know focused on or is that something that maybe wasn't as big of a focus beforehand
2: i mean it was a little bit but i i guess i probably didn't put as much thought into it until probably this this year maybe last year i started trying it out some and and I think I, the little bit that I did do was just kind of s- subconsciously but once I heard him talking about it it really just kind of started clicking uh, as far as like these little features to look for like just reading a even just on a map reading how the bends in the creek or or river and and you could probably you know pinpoint where crossings are going to be at and and just looking for those, I, I never really paid a lot of attention to bowls or or hubs. A lot, I I guess I I went more off of just just what I'm coming across. I guess you could say maybe hunting a scrape or or a, a hot rub line or something. But but uh, I focused a whole lot more on topography and and just those those features that he talked about, especially this year.
0: Uh, so and that was something I was going to ask is um, kind of about this same topic from the, from the success you've had this year. Is this something that you can kind of see building off of, you know, year after year and kind of keep applying these same tactics, but also maybe – adding more areas like this to your database that you kind of have more areas that you can jump into where you find like these thermal and social hubs that these bucks are kind of cruising. So you can kind of go to year after year and having more success. Is that something that maybe you've kind of thought about? Especially since you've tagged out now. You told us that before we started recording, (laughs) you lucky son of a gun. Now you need to focus on some other states of some small game. That's right. But is that kind of like your mindset is like, hey, I can kind of now apply this years into the future and try to find some more areas to bounce around from to have, you know, just really high-quality backup spots that you can kind of find some of these bucks?
2: Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, I had some other backup places that I didn't even get a chance to go to um, this year. That's the only only downside is uh, – and I might just make myself go out there and look at them anyways uh, just to – Not that I haven't looked at them before, but really getting there and see what the sign looks like this time of year versus, you know, seeing it in summertime or or turkey season or something like that. I want to see what's going on in the woods at that that point in time. Definitely something that I'll build off of and definitely add to my arsenal of of things to kind of help me find those pockets of deer and, and just where they're hanging out. Well, Jake, let's jump back into this buck. So uh, you you were talking about with this buck, you had
0: located them using mock scrapes and stuff, um, you know, this summer. Um, and then he kind of disappeared. You weren't able to kind of relocate him. And then come gun season, you found this area that, you know, had the diversity, had kind of like that that social thermal hub that connected a bunch of different ridge points together down this drainage. Um, you know, a lot of thick cover, steep terrain, just, you know, really nasty stuff that, you know, you thought and also found the sign that says, hey, there's a lot of probably good deer here and probably an area you can catch a mature buck in kind of, how did the hunt play out? You know, was it the first time in that you were able to have success? And, uh, you know, kind of, how did you focus on setting up in the spot in the spot?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So originally I'd been eyeballing this, this spot on the map. I, I, at the time I just couldn't get myself to make myself go over there and hunt it because I was focused on trying to get this deer, which I rarely try to focus on one deer. It usually bites me in the butt, but, uh, I finally went over there right before muzzleloader season opened, and I actually came in a, a long ways from the other side and uh, started seeing some good sign in there, uh, saw a few does and and a few fresh scrapes. So the next, I guess it was opening weekend of rifle season, um, I didn't hunt there in the morning because I hadn't walked in from the other side and I wanted to go in maybe early afternoon and kind of still hunt my way to a spot and maybe do a hanging hunt. And so, um, first afternoon I kind of worked my way around through there and actually it, it's not the spot where I killed him, but it was maybe a hundred yards or so from where I did get him. But I had a pin dropped on a, a little kind of a smaller hub and actually jumped up a little, maybe a little basket rack eight point. And so I kept kind of working down the side of this kind of side hill with the creek down below me and kind of opened up a little bit in this creek bottom and found, I think I found maybe a fresh rub and, and a scrape right at a creek crossing. So I kind of set up there and come to find out from my spot, I could see that there was another creek crossing maybe 50 yards down so mm-hmm. i was kind of set up perfectly in between the two and that afternoon i saw had a had a seven point come off the side of that ridge across from me and he kind of worked that creek bottom and just kept following it and then right at dark i had another i, I couldn't tell what he was but a buck came from the same spot and made a made a scrape and he used the crossing that was to my right i could just tell it was a deer and that he had antlers it was too dark to to shoot or anything so I let him walk and uh so it kind of confirmed that it was a pretty good central location it looked like the bucks were really working through there and so I stuck it out for a few more weeks um I'd hunt it here there I was trying not to overhunt it I guess the weekend or the day that I got him I wasn't really thrilled about going that morning it was like 70 degrees could have wore a t-shirt and i was actually thinking about going and looking at another spot that i'd been wanting to try out but it was it was probably uh, almost a two mile walk and i was a little behind so i was like you know what i'm i'm not gonna leave deer to go find deer and it's just that time of year bucks are rutting I knew there was does in there, and I knew maybe you know just being in that area. Hopefully, a buck pushes some does out or, or catch them chasing. And so that's that's ultimately what what happened with him is uh, I had a few does come off of uh, the big tall ridge across from me. They were actually getting put bumped by a small buck that I'd seen maybe thirty minutes prior. He went back up the hill and. Pushed them out of the thicket up there and uh, ran them down to the creek. They kind of crossed and were just kind of on high alert. Just they'd run about ten yards and stop and look around. It was a, it was a big mature doe with two two fawns, and so uh, they were just you could tell they'd been dogged pretty good. And uh, all of a sudden she got, I mean, directly to my left, and they had stopped to eat some acorns. Um, There's a patch of white oaks that were dropping right next to me and all of a sudden she just kind of stopped and started head bobbing looking in the thicket behind me and so i just kind of eased my head back a little further and all i could see was this tail flicking. he was standing behind a big white oak tree so I, I didn't even know it was that buck at first and i didn't even know it was him till i shot him but so he steps out from behind the tree i've already got my gun up at this point and all i see is this scope full of antlers <laughs> it didn't take but a second to realize that uh he was a shooter, and uh, I just tried not to focus on looking at his antlers, and he uh, he was grunting pretty good. I, I mean, I could hear him. I mean, I was, was probably a 45, 50-yard shot, and uh, he was just grunting and working real slow towards the doe, and uh, he finally stepped out in an opening and gave me a broadside shot and uh, squeezed off on him. He jumped straight up and maybe ran a few steps behind a tree and stopped and was just looking at the doe, had his mouth wide open. I knew I hit him, and he was just standing there looking at her, and uh, he turned broadside again to start chasing her, and so I shot him again, and he ran maybe 30 yards and piled up, and I still didn't know it was him, the buck that I originally had pictures of until I walked up on him, but, I mean, first shot was maybe a high-lung shot, but he was so focused on that doe that he didn't even— realized that he had been shot and didn't know what was going on. So luckily he stood there and gave me a chance at a second shot to finish him off quickly. Yeah, excellent. But uh, well, l- let me ask because uh, it sounded like you
0: hunted this spot quite a bit. You know, you know, not trying mm-hmm. to overhunt, but you've been in there quite a few times. Um, oh yeah. For that, for the last, for this last hunt, when you actually were able to capitalize and, and kill that buck, <laughs> um, you know, what decided you to sit in that same spot, or was it the same spot on that creek crossing, or did you decide to go somewhere else? You know, kind of in that same kind of big hub.
2: It was the same spot. What was sticking out to me was. A- and a uh, or two before i'd actually went across and kind of scouted that steep ridge and and what was going on over there i mean i was still finding fresh fresh sign coming out of that thicket the creek crossings were still pretty fresh so i knew deer were using that area still the oak trees were just this year's been a bumper crop for white oaks and it was just just raining acorns all around me so i I knew if I could at least get on the food, hopefully, hopefully I would catch some does working through just feeding, and then hopefully it would pique the interest of a buck and step out just to give me a give me a chance at him. And and so the ridge behind me is super thick too, but it's not quite as tall, or not near as tall, but it's it's a great travel corridor for them because it's it's real thick it's a long ridge and the wind that I had was, it was blowing in my face. So any deer that was coming off, off of that ridge across from me and working their way into that bottom, it'd blow their scent all up into that thicket. And what kind of made me think a buck would use it as just, it was thick. Um, they could smell any deer that was down in the creek bottom without having to step out there and expose themselves unless you know unless it was a hot doe which is what what got him but um it it just the way it laid out it was a great spot for deer to basically cruise for does yeah jake and you had talked
0: earlier about this area about kind of you know the thickness of the cover but Mm -hmm. on these like ridges where it's you know it sounds you know considerably thick is it like this high stem count or is it more like just like really viney, um, you know, kind of habitat? I mean, what, what kind of thick are we talking about? Because I th- the reason why I say that, uh, just for mm-hmm. listeners out there and for yourself, you know, we talk about thick cover all the time on the show and a lot of guests do as well. And there's like mm-hmm. different, there's different versions of thick. There's like the high stem count thickness. And then you have like, like the, the sweet gr- gums you mentioned earlier. Yeah. That's the, the high stem count. And then you have like kind of like the green briar uh, muscadine, mm-hmm. just, just choke choked out areas in kudzu that are, yeah. you know, real thick that deer <laughs> like to travel through, but it's just a total different type of thickness. Uh, so, so what was that area like kind of up on that, those top of those ridges?
2: Overall, I would say stem count. Um, it was loaded with sweet gums, uh, sweet gum regeneration. Um, just, I mean, dog hair, thick sweet gums. And I mean, there was some some vines like muscadine and smilex and then patches of blackberries and, and and little shrubby stuff like that so it, it overall it was stem count and then just had other stuff mixed in there with it here and there but uh definitely a lot of sweet gums
0: okay perfect well i, I want to talk about now kind of the reaction you know you shoot this deer you know it kind of it sounds like it happened fairly quickly he kind of goes down i want to kind of go over your emotions though. you get out of the tree dude what is kind of like you're going through your head as you walk up to this deer
2: originally i couldn't even see him where he fell over i thought he had ran over the hill because i just saw him kind of plowing through the thicket and then he just disappeared um so it just happened he that's where he fell over behind a tree so <laughs> the first thing i did was call my wife and let her know uh I'm pretty sure I just got a big one. And so I'm just, you know, trying not to climb down too early. I wanted to give him a minute. So I sat for maybe 15 minutes or so. And then I finally, because it's a warm morning, it was already getting up there about 70 degrees. So I didn't want him to lay too long. And I knew I had a long drag and had to get him out of there before, uh, before it got too hot. So I go ahead and climb down. Um, had to run one of the fawns off. He was still standing right there in front of me while I was on the phone with my wife and climbing down. He never paid me any attention, but uh, he finally trotted off. But uh, I walk up to where I shot him and found the, I mean, I could see blood from 10, 15 yards away. So I knew it was, I mean, it was a good blood trail. He didn't go far, but uh, I walk up and took maybe a few more steps and I could see him laying over there. So I just walk over there to him and and then I was just like, holy crap, it's him. <laughs> I was like, that's the one I've been after all year. I mean, I instantly looked to see how far I was, and I was like, holy crap, he went over a mile away from where I originally had pictures of him. I just, I mean, I was in disbelief. I I really did not believe that I would come across him that far away. I mean, it was just just crazy. I mean, it, I felt like it was a good area for, for a mature buck, but I didn't think he, it would be him. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I'll say this deer, um, you know, ever since you sent us the trail cam photos of him on that mock scrape, you could tell that he just had some really awesome mass and a little bit of palmation as well. Oh, yeah. uh, And anyone that's listening to the episode right now, hopefully – uh, depending on what time you're listening to this, um, you know, hopefully we've got the Facebook and Instagram post up so you can actually go see this deer. And I mean, it is a, it is a super impressive buck and, and Jake, I mean, this like kind of is one side that's definitely got some palmation that this, I mean, he just looks wicked, um, and I- let me ask, did you get him aged or, you know, um, you know, Um, I
2: haven't looked at his teeth yet. I'm going to look at him tomorrow. Originally, during, I mean, it's hard to tell their age during the summer, but I was thinking just from his way his body was shaped. I really thought he was maybe just an awesome three year old. Once I got to looking at him, I mean, he was kind of. I mean, he wasn't a heavy deer, at least for the area. He was maybe 160, 170 pounds max. But I just kind of got to looking at him, and he was real bony in the hips, and I mean, super gray in the face. Just kind of, I mean, he just had this what he he had the frame, but he just didn't have the weight on him anymore. And I thought maybe it was just due to him rutting pretty hard. But the more I looked at him, I mean, he seemed like he's he's pretty pretty mature deer because he still had that saggy belly and a sway back he just did not have have the weight on him anymore um so i think he was probably an older deer on probably past his prime i definitely i'll i'll know tomorrow when i look at his jaw and i can give y'all an update on that (laughs) yeah that'd be yeah definitely i'd love to see how old he was
0: well awesome uh Andrew, do you have any questions? No, dude.
2: Just
1: congratulations! What a freaking awesome buck, man. Uh, hopefully, I can I can get one like that in the next two or three weeks. <laughs>
2: yeah, man. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate y'all having me on here, and I mean, hopefully, this helps some guys find those bucks out there and get them a good one.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to actually I want to ask you, Jake, kind of one last question. Uh, we've had a lot of new listeners tune into the show over the last six months. And, you know, for the new listeners out there, um, you know, what advice or what what would you recommend when it comes to the podcast and some of these episodes and kind of like, you know, you've been listening for a year, year and a half now, (laughs) you know, you've listened to most likely a ton of episodes and there's a lot that comes at you and, you know, some guys are similar tactic wise, other guys are completely different. What, what, what a piece of advice would you give those people that are listening to the show that maybe are overwhelmed with it uh, for them to maybe find something that would stick with them that they could go out and use on their local piece of public land?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Try not to let the information overload get to you. Pick, pick the style that you really like. You don't have to, to, you know, try to incorporate everything every hunt. Um, just find the things that, Interest you, the style of hunting you want to do. I did use, you know, a few different tactics from different people, Sol- Glenn Solomon um i know he talked a lot about thickets and stuff and i mean i definitely use that as well looking for thick areas that would hold deer but just enjoy it have fun the main part of it just just go out there and scout find the hot sign and uh sorry there's actually a a buck running a doe right here in my backyard dude uh, come come on (laughs) Uh, here's a video man sorry (laughs) kind of caught me off guard there but yeah um just try to enjoy it um there's a lot of public land out here um don't let it get to you if you don't see anything at first these deer do get pressured and um just stick with it um i mean it can change in the blink of an eye i mean i all both season i maybe saw three deer i changed spots and instantly was on them i mean they were they were deer all in this area so it's uh it's definitely just don't let it kind of get to you just pick the things that that interest you as far as the style of hunting you like to do i mean the easiest thing i mean really thickets and food that was easy easiest way i can put it <laughs> uh, especially this time of year awesome dude well jake we
1: appreciate it man and uh i know you're bucked out so uh, g- get out there and get after some uh, fox squirrels and some wood ducks nah. and, and other other I- bounties that, that george offers i sure will to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear. How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.